Welche Vogel sind wir? Mein Gott. <lacht> Was ist passiert zu dir, mein Scotty? <lacht> John, John, das meant, what episode are we? <lacht> I have no idea. <lacht> we are no 120. Okay, that's very good. Cue music. John, I thought your German was better. Of course, I could have absolutely knackered that translation because I just used Google Translate, so I could have just said your sheep is beautiful or something. Which you more or less did, I think. Yes, there we are. Uh, so this, I was just trying to emphasize the international nature of this podcast by introducing another language uh, other than the normal uh, fluent bullshit. <laughs> well, sometimes when you're working on projects, there's an inclination to introduce the hottest and latest new languages and technologies. But sometimes that's not a good idea and you want to fall back to things in which you're comfortable. Is that not the case, mein Scotty? It is. It is. And we're not calling German the hottest and latest <laughs> new language. Of course, we're talking about Swift. <laughs> Well, I would. I, this is a true story. So, uh, early on in my career in the '90s, I spent a fair amount of time in Dusseldorf, and that's when I was working with some German developers. And I uh, was basically I loved and still love to speak a few words of, of a language. I call it fake whatever. So I think I'm excellent speaking fake German. And I word used one of the most helpful phrases in German, at least for me in my snarky moments, when I was like. Mein Deutsche ist besser als deine. My German is better than, and then I would fill in the blank, and I could really insult people because my German was horrible. So I went to the lead developer, very proudly tapped him on the shoulder, breaking his concentration. He goes, what do you want? Meine Deutsche ist besser als dein Programmierung. And he looked at me, rolled his eyes, and got back to work. So programming languages in German. Yeah, no. So I, I was. We we're just talking about this because we were chatting just now before the show about um, a series of articles by Brent Simmons, um, who has wrote Vespa for iPhone and is now working on Vespa for Mac. And, and he did. Uh, lots of people might know him because he did a whole bunch of um, blog posts about his sync diaries when he was bringing sync to Vespa, and they chose to use Azure services and use that. Um, and he's just started out on the Mac, and they've decided to go, I think they've decided to go Yosemite only. And so, of course, he's uh, uh, decided to use storyboards for the Mac, which were brand new from WWDC. Um, let us just talk about it. Do you use storyboards on iOS, John, or are you still a, a Zip man? I, you know, I, I have it various things, certainly for, for things that are test projects. If I, if I just create a new sandbox project, then yes, I use storyboards. We don't use them in Findery. I, I just found that, that it, again, it's one of those things where it seems really great until it's not, and then you, you kind of... If you are too much on the bleeding edge, you kind of carry forward that that pain of running into it, and then at the point when things get better enough that you can, you tend not to. So yeah, I, I'm a zip man, and but it sure seems that if you don't use zips, if you don't use storyboards moving forward, you you have to do things. There are some hidden things that are done for you that then you have to try and figure out what gets done for you. I mean, and and, and there are, there are a couple of examples. So the answer is is no, not for not for production apps, and yes, maybe I should be. Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, we can, you can no longer call storyboards the the new hotness because they've been around since is it iOS 
five, was I guess it? so. But I guess when you were starting Findry, maybe it was a bit different. Um, anyway, there we are. I mean, I'm guessing if you're starting any major project these days, um, you probably should be using storyboards as your default unless you have a good reason not to. I know some people in the early days were talking about they became really complicated if you ended up with like, you know, 30 different views or something um, and, and just following them around. But uh, um, it's, uh, yeah. There you go. It's just a. I was just interested, but of course they're they're now on the Mac. Um, I've no idea how they work on the Mac because obviously the Mac is a different situation because you've got resizable windows. Um, you can have multiple windows open at once. So I've not had a chance to even look at how they might be on there. Have you had a chance to look at? I time? haven't looked. No, not on the Mac. Okay, so there we are. We are um, totally uninformed for uh, podcast people talking to the developer community. Well, let, let so us speak authoritatively. That, that totally qualifies us, just like every other podcast. We will speak really. authoritatively on the subject. Yeah, because that's what podcasters do. They speak about things they know nothing about and make it sound like they do. Well, no, they don't make it sound like they do. They just act like they do. But uh, uh, anyway, so anyway, he was talking about he's looking on Yosemite. He's working in Xcode 6, I think. Uh, he's working with um, uh, storyboards for Mac. Um, he did start by using Swift as well. And he just got to this point in his very day of saying that actually that's too many brand new variables. And it was just making his his development cycle um, sort of every time something went wrong, you know, was it because there was a bug in Yosemite? Was it because storyboards weren't working properly yet? Was it because Xcode was dodgy? Or was it because he just didn't know Swift well enough? Or there was a Swift bug and it was totally slowing him down. Um, and it just raised for me the question of, you know, is there something, you know, how, how do you balance hotness against uh, stability? I mean, he's, he's looking about a brand new project here. So we'd always say use the latest for a brand new project. Um, and, and he's, uh, you know, he's finding himself in this situation. And I guess he's, he's um, giving up hotness now to be more productive. Now, I guess that's not so bad because you can introduce Swift later on because you can mix it and max it mix it and match mix it and match it with objective c so he's not cutting himself off forever but i just um you know is that the same choice you would have made john or would you cut storyboards or would you have gone for 10 you know gone with swift and stayed with 10 9 or how would you play I, I would have i would have done the same thing because i think that that's exactly right i mean my understanding so far it's a lot easier to to call objective c from the swift side um than it is the the opposite side so you're you're not losing anything and i and i think that that you know, it, it, it's kind of like the, the the question you always face when you're when you're just starting out. In order to have the problem that you're worrying about in the future, you have to get to the future. And if you're you're making choices that are slowing you down so much, you won't have to answer the the decision. You won't have to make that choice. So, like, even if it, it turns out that Apple introduces something that makes it so much nicer or better, you know, because you have used some technology choice, it will, probably won't matter to you if your product has gone nowhere. And so, you know, since there there is a lot of momentum built around, uh, you know, it seems to be appearing around the, this app going cross platform. It's absolutely the right choice. You see what I'm saying? It's like you know, people people tend to, to get you know all wrapped around the axle, thinking that that they have to make choices that they're going to live with, you know, 12 months from now. And if they don't make absolutely every perfect choice now, they're they're going to be screwed. But in the in the, the amount of time it takes them to resolve these choices, the market passes them by, or a competitor does. I mean, is there any such thing as perfect choices? Uh, only when I make them. 
<laughs> there we are. Well, you chose to be with me, John. I know. And it was the most uh, imper- uh, imperfect choice I've ever made. So what's the application that where, you know, have you ever worked on an application where everything was so bleeding edge that you were paying for it for forever? Or have you always been Mr. Mr. Safe Guy? Uh, I'm trying to think. Now, I, I've been pragmatic for a pretty long time. You know, I think the, the worst thing I can say is that I use technologies that everybody thought were crazy and were going to die. Um, <laughs> and if you wait long enough, it usually, you know, oftentimes it's not the case. Well, no, that, I shouldn't say of that. Course. I mean, we, if, if, if you have been developing with Objective-C and you, you did next step programming or web objects stuff and, and absolutely everybody said you were, you were batshit insane for doing so, you kind of had a good long ride. I think it's probably one of the longest rides for a dead technology having come back. And I, I think it's unprecedented. I can't really think of anything. It's not like I can't think of, of anybody who said, no, I'm, I'm going to do Turbo Pascal or Delphi and, and they're, you know, planning their retirement. Off of the money they made. Yeah, I, I remember I was a, um, I think I was still even mainly a mainframe programmer at the time. I think this was about 94, uh, sometime around that. And I um, uh, I received a, a telephone call from a company uh, um, uh, from the next city over. Um, and they were saying, you know, we're offering free Objective-C courses because it's going to be the new hotness. Um and you know everybody's going to be programming on Objective C very soon. Now, obviously, I think yeah that was when Next must have yeah. been promoting it, and they were they were doing it. And I had no idea at the time. So I was in the mainframe world. I, just, I don't think I'd even heard of Next or or whatever. I'm thinking it was about '94. Mm. If my dates are wrong, they forgive me. Um, and I just sort of you know uh, giggled and, and and sort of went back to my coal bowl or whatever it was <laughs> I was probably doing at the time. Um, you know, I just think you know if I'd done that, then I'd have been 20 years early into what is now probably. You know, one of the hottest programming languages in the world, and now it's. Are you going to say, you know, is Objective C a dead language now? Do you feel with the announcement of Swift? Where, where do you think it's going to position itself? Is it just going to be another language, or really is it now moving into the past? I kind of think that Objective C in about another ten, fifteen years will be seen as the assembly. <laughs> of the developer world and, and and not the only one but kind of c derivative languages you know because because the, the more dynamic you know scripted ones interpreted ones all the, the issues that had, had been raised about them about speed and performance and stuff will kind of have disappeared and there'll be very limited use for it um and so people will you know we'll talk about it but it, it, you know but th- this is the, the the thing that's kind of funny it's like i, I have been working on a, on a kind of a, a skunk works you know, test project, um, and and I, I've been had the the fun luxury of treating it as if it's basically like a hackathon instead of it lasting just a weekend and you're doing it with no sleep. We're we're doing it for two weeks and we're we're spending some afternoons doing it. It's been a lot of fun. And and for this particular app, I kind of said the most important thing is to be able to get an app that a, a, a fairly large number of people can use, and so that the the design, the interaction has to be. You know, very, very good to excellent, and and the the the, the complete back end and, and front end interactions, you know, software ha- has to work. And I'm looking for the shortest path. And I basically, without any hesitation, chose pa- parse, just because of all the services that could be done. Uh, you know, are, are easily and there's just precious little code. And on even on the front end, there's precious little code, just because it, the, the app itself is 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 
purposefully and necessarily very, very simple. And it's like one of those things where I say, you know, I, I want to write as few lines of code as possible. Now, the funny thing is, is that, you know, you go through their documentation and they, they give you examples of how to do things. And and the rap, the bum rap that, that Objective-C always gets is like, oh my God, it's so verbose. Look at the method links and look how many lines of code you need to do it. And this is this is kind of funny. It's not meant at all as, as, a, as a swipe against anything. But there are definitely many, many times where you see sample code written by people who kind of I don't want to say, but well, maybe begrudgingly came to Objective C or just came and saying, "All right, whatever, I'll, I'll, it's verbose. Let's make it verbose." And then they write five lines of code where they only needed one. And a perfect example of this was, you know, how to correlate Facebook users that you that are, are friends with with users of your application. They said, "Well, first you have to do is get that your your list of Facebook friends, and then you need to get their Facebook IDs and use that in, in a subsequent query." And so they go through and they they create an NS mutable array with 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 link zero, and then they enumerate the, the first array and then add each object and, and to end up with an array. Add each value for key, you know, object ID, in which case they, they could have had one line of thing had they used, you know, a uh, value for key path, right? And and so it's a case where it, it's it's kind of funny to see how how a language and it's not just Objective C, but it's basically a language that wants to that people want to kind of bury because of whatever prejudice they had about it in exchange for the new thing where the the, the issue that they're trying to solve wasn't was never really an issue that it was just their understanding was incomplete. Yeah, I I I really like Objective C, and I guess I have been a sort of not campaigner but you know i don't like don't like's too strong uh i, I think it's uh, as they said on the stage it's the c part of objective c that's the problem yeah. you're still working with pointers and um stuff like this but just just feels like um you know too much work now for a modern language and so i think you know when they said on the stage removing the c from objective c um i thought that was a, a great goal to do there i have to say that you know they took me a little while to get used to um and this isn't about whether you use square brackets or anything like that but i i just absolutely love objective c's um named you know uh I don't know what the official terminology is. You know, the method naming where, you know, the, the method comes in multiple yeah. parts with, a, you know, a parameter for each part. So application application did finish launching with options. And I'm sort of sad that that's going with Swift, really. And it's still there because uh, as much as when you're calling into the Cocoa frameworks or whatever else, you've still got to use it. And so and I think the syntax to call in to me is a little bit weird. I don't really it works but i don't really like it but you get this sense that new frameworks that are being written are not going to be written with that sort of method naming construct yeah. and i find that sad because i think that just made code incredibly understandable yep. totally with you on that and when you get the you know, come across a method that's got seven parameters you're passing in and whatever else it just you know i think people are going to suddenly realize they've lost one of the joys of objective c Yes, but then they'll say, shut up, Grandpa. We're so tired of hearing about the good old days. That's true. That's true. There we are. The days when we said Objective-C were the good old days. I guess there are some people, because Objective-C itself has been around since, was it about 1980? I think, I don't know. I want to say it's mid-80s. It was Brad Cox, right? And then, I mean, you have to trace it back to when Smalltalk was. I mean, it, it's old, and it's because Smalltalk dates back to the park, and right? So, yeah, it's it's got to be at least, you know, 80s mid 80s 
early 80s even. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. We'll use the font of all knowledge. We'll use Wikipedia mm. and uh, see what it says. Yes, it was developed in the early 1980s and was eventually used as the language by Next and Next Step. So even Next took it on as a language. They didn't invite it. No, they didn't invent it. They invited it. They didn't invent it. There we are. <laughs> From that time. Ah, so what can we say? John, I think it might be time to um, talk about our uh, our sponsors this week. Do you know who they are? Uh, I don't know. I was about to say that I was. it's time for a switch transition, but then while I was worrying about that, I totally forgot. Let's see. Uh, could it be Martian Craft and Briefs? No. No, no it is, actually. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Crucifixion? Let's... No. Okay, good. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we do these sponsor slots so professionally. Yes, our friends at Martian Craft. Well, I think they're still our friends. <laughs> they haven't spoken to me for a little while, so maybe they're not our friends anymore because of the way we do this. But um, our our once friends at Martian Craft are our sponsors again today. And uh, they're sponsoring us with their product, Briefs. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know all about Briefs. Um, uh, but just in case you haven't been listening for the last 10 weeks or so or you're new to the show, uh, Briefs is a Mac application that allows you to design uh, your application, your um, iOS application. And I think it does Android application. I'm not sure. I'm not so. You need to go to the website and have a look. Definitely does iOS applications. You design it. Really, I'm not doing very well here, am I? You design it um, uh, so you get as bad as look, but also about feel and the interactions. And then you take the designs that you've done in briefs and you download it onto the device, into the app that's there on the device. And then you can give that to the user or to... Um, your client, whoever it might be. And then not only do they get to see what the app will look like on the device, they begin to get a feel for what it's going to feel like because if they press a button, it will do a transition. Um, you know, And so you can just get an idea for the flow. And that's where you can learn if you've got the flow design, the user experience design of your um, application correct. The UX, as they would say, I have no idea why they put UX instead of just saying, you know, UE or whatever. Um, right. And, you know, it's in that stage that you can really begin to know if your app's working because it's really, really difficult to translate an app experience from a 2D set of Photoshop drawings. And this this can save you time. It can catch mistakes really early um, and core principles of your application. So go try it out. Is it giveabrief.com? It costs $199, which is peanuts compared to what it will save you in time and effort when you catch those problems and the mistakes. Download it. It's got a free trial. Um, give it a go. And hopefully our still friends at Martian Craft uh, will love you for it. That's it. Giveabrief.com. John, do a punchline. Brief. Ever so swift to get to the right answer. Oh, there we are. There we are. It's interesting how um, you know the, the introduction of uh, a, a new language uh, affects a lot of people. I mean, I, I work as part of a developer tools company, Rem Objects, and um, we do a product, uh, several products that run on the map. One of them is a product called um, Data Abstract, which is a multi-tier database. Uh, technology and solution that allows you to access your data in the cloud. So uh, you keep your data on your own server. Um, you basically use data um, access to access the data and you don't have to mess around with writing server code or uh, writing REST APIs or dealing with JSON parsing. parsing. It all sorts that stuff out for you. But anyway, of course, because um, 
uh, uh, it works on, on the Mac and with an Xcode. We have to support uh, now not only it working against Objective-C, because we are, it's, although we work on multiple platforms, all our clients are always written in native code. Um, we also have to support it working in Swift. So we've been checking really that you know, our, all our classes and our objects are workable properly in Swift. Um, we do have some code generators that um, have to work off certain things that you might want to use. And so we have to do Swift code generation um, going on in there. And so, yeah, as tool vendors, we're having to get into this stuff straight away. And I notice, you know, others are the same. I think PixelCut with their paint code product um, now supports Swift generation. When you uh, paint code, I think, is when you, um, you draw out... Um, an image in the like you would do in a, a draw image tool and then it produces the code to draw that on the screen for you in the language of your choice um and they now support swift so it's, it's creating quite a challenge but the fact that actually um where if we've been able to get this out the door really quickly because we shipped a new version of data abstract um uh, just at the end of last week and it's gone out the door with Swift support in there already and Swift code generation in there uh, and the fact that we've been able to do it so quickly is, is, is a suggestion that you know this stuff is working. Yep. Well I mean I think the other thing too and not to get into a, a long discussion about Objective-C but I think that, that it, it, it's, it is pretty amazing that, that it's able to do these things and I, I, ha- I will never have any regrets for, for having learned it um, and, and, and not just because it, it was the tool to be able to, you know, it was the programming language to, to, to work on platforms I've enjoyed working on. I think that there's something about the dynamism of, of, of the language um, and, and the patterns that, that, that grew up around it that are so clearly, you know, be, have been imitated in, in, in other languages. So, you know, it is pretty astounding just to see how fast the adaptation, adoption has been. I guess the real key will be... Um how many of the apps that we know and love will have Swift code in at their next releases. I mean, you know, people like the Omni Group are not going to go and rewrite their whole apps in Swift, mm-hmm. but it'd be interesting to see if the next release, um, they have some Swift code in it. And, um, you know, and, and how long is it going to take? I mean, is are we going to start seeing Objective-C uh, the same way that we now see Carbon, for example? So when, when um, in case people are new to the platform and they don't realize carbon carbon was a technology that apple put together to allow the transition from uh, os9 the last sort of classic mac um, operating system into os10 um, which allowed people to um not just recompile their classic mac applications but to to recompile their mac applications with what could be considered the minimum amount of work for making such a platform transition? I mean, if you had a, a Hello World app, you probably could just do it in two seconds. But you know, the reality is it must have worked because it allowed people like Adobe to to um, bring Photoshop over. It allowed Microsoft to bring Word over quite quickly. Um, and a lot of people say that's the reason OS X was actually a successful platform is because those apps could come across. Um, and so for many years, Carbon apps were quite normal on the platform. Um but now, I guess, if people will sort of still have carbon apps now. Now, I know, you know an app I use every day, BB Edit, I think it's still got quite a lot of carbon in it. Um, but it's seen now is, you know, no longer, you know, the right way or the current way. And do you think that's where Objective-C is just going to end up? 
so, or, or is it is it always going to be more current now? Is it going to be like assembler where actually no one sees assembler as wrong, just only use it when necessary? Yeah, I think it's got to be a little bit more like that because it, it, it it's I think it's it, it's the point I was trying to get about Objective C. The fact that the Objective C runtime was able to host so many different languages in, in the way that it's been able to, and I don't know other languages and runtime environments that have been able to do. I, maybe maybe that's a, a good feature of C sharp. I, I don't know enough about it, but the, the the fact that it's been able to do it means that 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 it's it, it probably has a longer life than Carbon, which was really quite a bit different. I mean, it, it was it was different. I mean, it was similar enough in that it ran on the same processors and stuff like that. But from everything I could ever understand, it took some time before you could, you know, you, you could easily have you know AppKit working in, in car, with Carbon, for example. You know, uh, to have a uh, an NS button on a Carbon window and, and to combine views. From what I understood, that was very very difficult. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but um, it was basically you worked all in carbon or you worked all in Objective-C and AppKit and the two hardly would ever mix in the same applications where it's it's obviously completely normal that Swift and the existing Objective-C frameworks, which is tons of code, all of AppKit, all of that, you know, in, until such time that they've rewritten everything and completely changed it, Objective-C is, is there for a long time. It, it is, it is, you know, it's, it's really, I think it's probably more a, a business decision than anything else. It's just that at some point they'll come saying, you know, these new features, it's not worth the time for us to do the testing or the, you know, to do the bridging work that's necessary. So if we can only do one, we're obviously going to do it in Swift. Um, So, yeah, I I think it's a little bit different. Yeah, and I guess we have to, you know, also point out that many of the libraries in in um, OS ten, particularly, um, but also in, in iOS, are actually still written just in C, not even in Objective well, yeah. C. And in some cases, I mean, all of WebKit that's that's C plus plus rather, and so it's Objective Objective C plus plus on top of that allows you to to invoke, you know, to to, to work with it. So. Ooh, oh, now that's a scary that thought. Is, Objective C plus uh, plus. Castero loves it. Uh, but there that, we are. Ooh. That's some nasty stuff. But anyway, I, I think just to, just to, to you know to kind of maybe start to to bring this to a close. I, I you know the, the the opening question really was: Do you do you always pursue the new hotness? And and what are the the trade offs of, of doing one versus the other? And and I'm still very very firmly of the opinion is that just do what do what is pragmatic and right to keep your product evolving, and that. The, the you're not gonna it's not like you fall off a cliff and can never use swift it's not like there's somebody saying oh you didn't use it on your first opportunity so you can't be allowed in the club it just doesn't work that way i mean you know it, it is absolutely true that that apple technologies that are going to be represent tectonic shifts take a couple of rounds before they work out all the bugs it was true with auto layout it was true with storyboards certainly was true with 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 core data sync it, it's probably going to be true for some of the things with with, with cloud kit and, and other new technology i would say that that you you can't just say i'm going to ignore it but you know use it where it makes sense but if you have to make a choice between pragmatism and and hotness go with pragmatism because that will allow you to give you the runway to to stick around to you know to, to indulge in the hotness. Always play the long game. Okay, so everybody, you can choose to listen to Sensible John and his pragmatic approach, or you can go with stupid Scotty and I say go for it, boys <laughs> and girls, go for it. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I'm not even going to justify it. 
Oh, John, a um, couple of other things this week. You may have noticed, or then again, you may not have done, that the um, iDeveloper website has changed a, a little bit. Not a huge amount, but just a little bit. Um, and that's because I've totally changed the system it's running on. I have not noticed because You'd... it was such a smooth transition. I didn't notice. Unless, I mean, you're talking about iDeveloper.co? Mm iDeveloper.co or iDeveloper.tv, depending on how you choose to get there. Uh, yeah, it's been running on WordPress for, oh, I don't know. But now it's faster. A, a, a long time um, on, on some hosted service that I've been paying for. And I've got all these sort of uh, servers lying around and, and stuff. And I just sort of, you know, I like new hotness. And, you know, everybody talks about static blogging engines. And I didn't really want to use this, you know, like Jekyll or, um, oh, what's the one that built, built on top of Jekyll that everyone loves? Octopress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really want to do that. I've done one of those before. And uh, Casey List from the um, uh, Accidental Tech Podcast had recently uh, written a um, sort of half-and-half blogging engine in Node because uh, he was learning Node. Now, I do some development in Node. I do quite a lot of development in Node, actually, and, uh, um, you know, I, I quite enjoy Node. I'm not as big a JavaScript hater as many people are. I, I think the language has some some fun things in it. It has some nightmare things in it as well, but there you go. Um, and so I just thought, okay, so he's made it open source. Let's just go take it, and and, uh, and, and I'll put the iDeveloper blog up there. And it's, uh, it's basically what it does is it... Um, it has a node thing. It's it's the node blog engine, and then you put all your posts into a into a folder or a set of folders in Markdown, and it it translates them from Markdown to HTML and then caches them. So it's it's only doing the transition, you know, once in a certain period of time, depending on how you set your caching mechanism up. But of course, you know, I downloaded this thing, and and um, you know, being a developer, it was no good just in implementing it, was it? I mean, you know, that's just not on. You have to think well. I don't like the way that bit works, so I'll rewrite that bit. And you don't like the way that bit works, so I'll rewrite that bit. And um, you know, after a while, I just said, "Okay, this is ridiculous. I need to, I need to put this up there and get it running." And so I did. Uh, so it's now up there and, and running, and it's nice and fast, I think, and uh, it, it works really well. But I sort of started all these changes, and I'm finishing these changes. So hopefully, um, I mean, it's not a huge project. In the next couple of weeks, I will release my version of it so casey's version um which he did as a learning project for for node so it's got a few things in there that i wouldn't necessarily do not that i'm a massive node expert but i've done a few projects which i changed but equally it was designed for him to support one website on his blog and whatever else and i've got this i developer and i've got software indie and uh, i got the waffle with meaning that i never post to but i like it to be there and i'm just thinking well i don't want to keep deploying this one blogging engine three times i'd rather you know why can't i deploy the blogging engine once and then just have three sets of folders so i'm making it i basically turn it into multi-site um and so once i've done that i'll open source it but it's been quite good fun um so go take a look at the uh the the iDeveloper website and you will find it's uh it's uh, really fast because it doesn't really do anything, um, which is the way software should be. Um, and I've decided uh, the hardest thing, John, was to try to decide what, what name to call the project. And? Uh, well, the original uh, blogging software was called Camel. Um, and I wanted to somehow have some sort of uh, tie-up to that, even though by the time I finish, there's probably going to be very little over it. So I've decided to call my blogging engine Humper. I knew you were going to do that. I was about to say Humple, <laughs> but Hump is even better. Hump is the, my new blogging engine, and so I will make that open source as soon as I can. So there we are. You can run your stuff on Hump. You can, well, and you'll be able to say, I've got 
one hump node, two hump nodes. That's right. Oh, I like it. I'm going to write yeah. that down before I forget it. How many hump nodes are you running? See, when I'm running a, a Heroku-style service off of hump, that's what they'd be called, hump well, nodes. Well, so you, you better register the domain humpler, and I'm sure that there's an LR, you know, <laughs> do, top-level domain somewhere, so you better hurry up and get it before somebody gets it and then tries to charge you a million dollars for oh, the right to use it. John, you're, John, you're going to cost me a fortune. <laughs> Oh no, Humpler, I like it, I like it. Oh, and Humpnode, Humpnode.io and stuff like that. Oh, that's it, there's another couple of hundred dollars gone on domain names. <laughs> God, you know, th- this, is, this is the advantage of, of, of having, you know, less expensive colleges to fund because it allows da- irresponsible geek dads like you to, to spend what otherwise should be invested for their children's education in fucking domain names. It's- it's costing me a fortune to put my kids through university, but that's, you know, I'm just going to tell them you can't eat tonight because... Daddy needs, a, need do, Daddy needs a new domain. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Oh, so there we are. And uh, last week, John, I was telling you, we'll wrap up about uh, my backup woes with the company JustCloud. Yeah. And uh, if you remember, I said that I'd, I'd bought... Uh, for, this is for my home machine where I just keep... Um, my music and my videos, you know, because I burn all, all my DVDs to uh, using handbrakes. So I want it backed up and, um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so it was on there and it was backing up the Drobo, as I explained last week. And then they decided that you know, I was not using it um, the way they designed. I was somehow putting stuff on my hard drive, which I told them how big it was on my unlimited account. And I was abusing my account and if remember I said they gave me the choice of uh, uh, moving to some business account that gave me sort of 100 meg for, for 500 pounds a day or something. That's an exaggeration, but, yeah, I'm just trying to make a point. Um, or I could cancel my account and, and get a pro rata refund was the wording in the, uh, in the um, thing. And I was arguing with them that I should get a full refund because they've now taken my service away that I've spent seven months backing up my data to. Anyway, in the end, I gave up fighting with them, and, and they said, "I just said, issue me a pro rata refund." And then, of course, what do they do? Okay, I had all these extra services I bought for the extra drive, for the um, syncing, for the faster backup, for you know all this sort of stuff. And I had a two-year original account, so yeah, you know, I calculated I needed a pro rata refund of about yeah, you know, about two hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. And they said, oh no, no, all those other services, unless you cancel them within fourteen days, you don't get any refund. So we're only going to do the main thing. So you've got about you know here's 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 eighty dollars, and it's like. So you're making me cancel my account and get a refund, but you're not going to refund it because you say I didn't cancel in 14 days. And it's like, oh, who are these people? And so I've been screaming at them and shouting at them. And then yesterday, yesterday I had a phone call from the Just Cloud um, customer support services to ask me how why I cancelled my account and was there anything they could do to make me stay? Oh, my God. Please tell me you recorded this. <laughs> No, I just wasn't even thinking about it. I was actually in the car at the time. Oh, and it was like, oh, my word, here is the joke. So I said last week I was going to put it up, and I have done. It's really basic. I'll add to it. So don't use justcloud.com is live. Oh, good. <laughs> it, it is up there. And I just want to encourage you to tweet it, to blog it, to put something on it. Let, let's just create some um, SEO goodness. Uh, link, link, link credibility there so that if uh, – I, I, you know, if – People make your own choice, you know. I'm not looking trying to put these guys out of business or something, but I want to. I want people to know this what they do because yeah, I've looked into it and they've done this to quite a few people um, as well. 
Um, I just want it when people search for Just Cloud that this page will come up and they'll at least have a, people will be at least informed and not end up in the position I'm in. So yeah, if you've got a blog, if you do tweeting, you do Tumblr, whatever it might be, Facebook, I don't really care. Um, don't use justcloud.com and uh, just, just give a link to it and uh, let's save some people my pain. Yes. We're going to do a pain transfer. <laughs> there we are. Okay, John. It's uh, we we've um, we said at the start of the show, or well, just before we came on air, we have nothing to talk about, but we've not shut up for almost forty minutes. So, um, mm. uh, whether that's of any value to anybody, I don't know. But I've quite enjoyed chatting with you as, as always. always. Where can we find well, you? John? You can always find me on Finder, Findery as John Fox, and you can find me on the Twitters as Jembe. That's D J E M B E, like the West African drum. And you can find out all about my glorious product, Memory Miner, at memoryminer.com. And my name is Scotty. You can find me on Twitter as MacDevNet, on ADN is Scotty. You can find the show notes for this show on our amazingly fast blog at iDeveloper. TV hosted on Hump, and um, you can also check out. No, you can't check out my personal blog because it's down at the moment, so I won't even bother giving you that one because I haven't deployed that one on Hump yet. So um, it's been great uh, talking to you, John. It's been great uh, to uh, be um, putting. Uh, I was trying to think of something appropriate into people's ears. What was it? Uh, uh, your, your German you were trying to use before the show was trying to put something totally inappropriate in inappropriate places on me, John. Uh, so what can we give the... Uh, John, show people your German. Put something beautiful in somebody's ear in German to finish the show. Nine. Oh, <laughs> You've become very, um, very corporate these days, John. I noticed you weren't even swearing last week. You were, you were beeping yourself and, 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 and doing words that rhyme with. So um, there we are. This is what happens to you when you work on major uh, worldwide applications. Yeah, that's true. There we are. But it's, it's, it's a nice, you're still nice, John. Well, thank you, Mr. Nice. Scotty. Thank, thank you very much for everyone for listening. And until next time, you take care. Thank you.